Welcome back to season two, episode four of the Bridge Podcast. Hope everyone's staying happy, healthy, and safe. Uh, we have a special episode today with a special guest. Um, I'm going to hand it off to, off to Gabe. He's going to give us the quote of the day and then introduce our guest. Yeah, what is up, everybody? Um, back on the podcast. I'm super excited today. We have um, a special guest who is one of my, someone who really inspired me and actually even helped me like get the confidence in myself to begin this podcast with Sam. So he is um, an owner of, or co-owner of Mosina Coffee, and he is a 23-year-old entrepreneur. And um, yeah, without further introduction, Pablo Lopez. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Gabe, uh, thank you, man. It means a ton to me. Um, that kind of stuff always is um, super important to me, always means a ton for me. Um, again, I'm glad if, you know, there was a point in, you know, uh, I guess you could say in your high school career that I was able to inspire you. That means a ton. So thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, of course. So, Gabe, you want to hit us with a quote? Yeah, so today's quote I was actually reading in my uh, leadership class. It's crazy school is actually applicable. But so it talks about um, John Gardner. He recalled a story of sitting by Martin Luther King at a seminar on education. And the first presentation was entitled, First, Teach Them to Read. And then after observing this, um, MLK said, First, teach them to believe in themselves. And I really think Pablo has a story that exemplifies that quote well. So, Pablo, let's hear it. Yeah, guys. So, um, I I went to I went to the same high school as you guys. I went to St. Ed's, graduated in 2014. Um, throughout my high school years is kind of when I developed um, and nurtured that entrepreneurial mindset. I kind of embraced it in high school. Um, I started two companies in high school. Um, one was a t-shirt business and the other was a clean energy product that a couple of my classmates and I worked on. Um, you know, those first couple of businesses that we worked on when we were young were um, kind of, I would say, the the launch pad of our entrepreneurial careers, my business partner and I. Um, we embraced everything about it. I love the idea of, you know, essentially creating um, a product or a service or a good or whatever you want to you wanna make or what you want to call it and essentially create something that creates values for others. And that was something that inspired me um, in high school. I started with a t-shirt business, again, the clean energy business. And, um, you know, we were successfully um, funded through the Ken Layden program at St. Ed's um, for our uh, clean energy startup. We actually came in third place, I believe. That was always kind of a little chip on my shoulder because I really wanted to win that. And, um, you know, I would say from that point on, it was just kind of like a go and, um, Ferris, my business partner and I, when we, uh, you know, arrived to college, um, you know, we kind of immersed ourselves in the college experience. Um, the first two years really, um, you know, we, we learned the college ropes, you know, we were focused on our studies, focused on our education. And, you know, we, we kind of left the stuff that we worked on in high school on the back burner and it just really didn't go anywhere. Um, I would say around our sophomores to junior years of college, um, we kind of came together and we were thinking to ourselves of ways that we, you know, we might be able to add value again, you know, and, and add value to the world and kind of get back into that entrepreneurial mindset again. Um, again, it was always near and dear to our hearts. So um, we were thinking of ways that we might be able to do it, you know, while studying and um, doing the whole college lifestyle. 
And there was a couple ideas we had. We worked on our third startup in college. It was called uh, Blitz. It was a vehicle maintenance software that essentially connected the car owner to the car maintenance location. But what we really wanted to focus on was vehicles that were like out of warranty, you know, so older cars. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring the data that that vehicle had to life. Um, so essentially we wanted to create a mechanism of um, ease as it related to um, car maintenance for older cars. And what we wanted to do is again, extract that data and sell it back to the car companies to help them improve future designs. Um, so we worked on that. We were successfully funded with a proof of concept in college. Um, but it was actually a company that was willing to invest $200,000 in helping us worth of like um, app development and helping us get the software started. So that would have been a, a customer relationship management system for the, the car, lo uh, car maintenance location. And then also a phone application for the customer, so the user. And, um, you know, we, we had some traction there, but ultimately we were just kind of late to market. And um, that ended up really not going anywhere. Um, so once we kind of went through there, we had, you know, the, all the, the, you know, the failures, the successes and everything that kind of comes with starting a company. Um, you know, we weren't really knocked down. We just kind of used everything as a learning experience. That was kind of our, our MO, you know, going through high school and into college. And we kept after it, you know, so when you know, our, our sophomore the junior year kind of came around. We worked on that freshman year, um, didn't really go anywhere. We worked into it, into it a little bit into our sophomore year. And then we just kind of let it go. And um, around my junior year, we were just kind of focused on our studies. You know, I was doing part-time jobs throughout college and um, with a full course load, obviously keeps pretty busy. I'm sure you guys know that. And um, my junior year of college, I was actually, um, it was a stressful, stressful year for me. Like, um, I was getting in my studies, trying to balance a job, and it was just like really stressful, you know? So finding time to study and do stuff like that was kind of difficult. And I would make it a thing to wake up around three or four in the morning and, you know, just kind of get my day started and um, get things rolling. And what I would do is I would cut out time to actually go to a, a local Starbucks because I was living in Lakewood at the time. And there was a Starbucks on the corner of Clifton and 117th, for those of you who are familiar with Cleveland. And it was the only Starbucks in the area that opened super early and closed super late. So I would kind of make this area like my library and I would do all my studying there and, you know, after work or before work, just go there, do homework, study, whatever it might be. Um, so that Starbucks came, became in like an important location for me um, starting, I guess you could say, um, became an important location for me to like come up with ideas, think of things, you know, whatever, whatever you have it. And one day I was sitting there and it was kind of like one of those epiphany moments that you have. It's kind of like, holy, holy cow. And I was sitting um, in kind of like the seating area and across from me, I look forward and there's a, a sign that says the word Huehuetenango. Um, it's a weird spelling, weird pronunciation. If you don't speak Spanish, you wouldn't really know how to pronounce it. And I saw it and it said a single origin coffee series. And I looked at it and it was kind of like, holy, you know, holy cow, like, um, what is that word doing in American marketing? Like, that's so weird. So I was kind of taken back. I, I remember the first thing I did was I took, I pulled out my phone, I took a picture of it and I sent it to Ferris and I sent it to my, my dad. Um, so to kind of give you a back, backstory on the word, but with the Nango, so my father's Guatemalan. Um, my grandfather emigrated to the United States in the 1970s, 
and um, he he so he he wanted you know to kind of follow an American dream. So he brought my grandmother and his family here. And um, the funny thing about my my family background is I come from a, a background of coffee farmers, like on my dad's side. So everyone in my family's essentially been in the coffee business since the 1960s and um, 50s, 60s. And my family was always kind of involved with the coffee trade. And I knew that growing up, it was always something that, you know, we knew. So we used to drink great coffee at home, Guatemalan coffee. My family used to send it to us. And it was always kind of near and dear to my heart. We kind of had a family tradition on it. And uh, we knew that you know, the location my family was from in Guatemala produced some of the finest coffee varieties in the world. Um, so when I saw that sign, I was taken back. I was like, you know, it, like, it can't be. Like, there's no way Starbucks is going to Wauwatenango and, you know, getting coffee from, you know, maybe my family's farms. You know, I have three distinct sets of aunt and uncles that own coffee farms to this day. So, you know, I was kind of like, man, could it be that like our family's coffee's in there? Like, that's pretty crazy. So I started doing research. Like I got, I had my computer in front of me. So I got right on my computer. Um, I started doing a whole bunch of research on, you know, where they were getting this coffee from. I went to right to Starbucks website. I was looking up the coffee. I was looking up the price on it, kind of where they were getting it from, you know, what their story was behind how they um, got the coffee to the United States and, you know, the roasting process and everything. And um, as I was doing research through all that, like I was finding out that my family was sending coffee all over the world to Europe, to Asia, um, to a couple of different locations. And you would just do that just by simple Google search, you would find this information. So I was like, you know, that's crazy. I'm like, so I just kind of sat back to myself. I'm like, this could be our, this could be the, the idea we've been looking for. Um, you know, and I thought to myself, I was like, you know, I called Ferris right away. I was like, dude, look at this. Like, this is my family. They're all over Google. They're selling coffee to companies in Europe and Asia. And um, I think we should get involved with this. I think it would be cool. So that was kind of where everything was born. And that was in 2007, 16, 17-ish. I think it was like change a change of year. It was at the end of the year, 16. And we just kind of hit the ground running. So Ferris and I came together. We pulled some of our savings together. Um, I think we, we started the company with like $10,000 of our own money. And... Um, Essentially, it was like off to the races. So what I did was I immersed myself in the coffee trade. I learned everything there was to know about coffee, coffee cultivation, coffee roasting, coffee importation. And my goal was to use the, essentially our startup capital. What we were going to do is we were going to form a new company. It was going to be Mosina Coffee. Um, the whole name is a whole different story, which I'll get into in a little bit. And I was going to import my family's coffee. That was the idea. That was like uh, the genesis of Mosina. And Ferris and I got together again. We immersed ourselves in the coffee trade. I took a trip to Guatemala at the end of 2016, December 16 to January 17. So it was, I actually spent New Year's down there. And I went down there for a whole month and immersed myself in the coffee trade. I visited coffee farms. I met with my aunts and uncles. It was kind of like the preliminary discussions on how we were going to actually import the coffee. Um, so I went down there because I didn't really know much about the cultivation of it. Um, I knew it was in the family. It just, I didn't know really anything about it, you know, living here in Ohio my whole life. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, let's go down, let's learn everything. So spent a whole month, immersed myself, um, learned everything there was to know about coffee cultivation. And one of the things that kind of struck me was that coffee farmers weren't really given their fair shake as it related to cultivating the coffee. So there's 80% of the work that happens at origin because like, it's, it's back breaking work. I mean, 
picking individual coffee cherries off of a coffee tree um, is not e is not the easiest work, and it's usually um, work that the poorest people in that society um, essentially take up. So I went down there. I met coffee farmers. I met um, you know obviously my family. We went to the farms and we saw the farm hands and the people who were actually doing the work. And it kind of inspired me to kind of take it a step further as it related to like a sourcing story. So while I was down there, I was formulating in my mind ways that we would make it happen. Um, obviously, we were working with like limited capital to get started. So I didn't really want to get into the business of roasting my own coffee. Um, so I was thinking to myself, okay, what kind of way can I maybe have not have to get into the roasting business and have the farmers do all the preparation? And it was like, man, this is, you know, this could be a sick idea. So I went down there and I essentially presented this idea of what I wanted to do to my family, to my uncles. And they were kind of like, are you crazy? Like, no one does it that way. Like, that's different. So why, so you're telling me you want us to roast the coffee here and then you want to import that coffee to Cleveland, Ohio, and you're going to pay me to do not only the cultivation of the coffee, but you're going to pay me to buy the, the gold coffee because coffee before it's roasted is a gold color. So it's kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the commodity market trading of coffee is gold coffee. Um, so you want us to grab a commodity product. You actually want us to do our own roast on it. You want us to do all the preparation that makes it the great coffee it is. And you're going to pay us more for that. And then we're just going to send it to you. And they were like, you know, that's crazy. You know, so Obviously, they were all ears because it would be more money in their pocket and more money they'd be able to pay the farmhands. And, you know, while I was in Guatemala, that's where I was at kind of with that aha moment where I was like, you know what, we're just going to do a completely finished set origin product. So at, at origin, they were going to do all the roasting, the cultivation, everything. They were going to get the finished product and they were going to send it to us. And we were just going to come here and we were going to create a brand around it. And we were just essentially serve as a distributor. And I went down there, we pitched the idea, I came back to the States and we started working on the groundwork. So um, we had to go through U.S. Customs um, certifications. We had to be um, uh, essentially, because there's, there's um, how can I put it? You have to, imp to import the coffee, you have to have a company that essentially does all the um, importation requirements because it's not that easy. So there's like INCO terms and international trade law and a bunch of certifications you need to have. So we went and found a freight forwarder, a company that would do all the importation for us. And that whole process took us like another year because it wasn't that easy. Like you have two American guys who want to bring 100 pound sacks of product from Guatemala. Obviously they need to make sure there's no illicit substances in there or anything else going on. So it was a long drawn out process. But once it was all said and done um, in 2018 is essentially when we brought our first round of coffee. Um, so it was like September, I believe, is like when we first first did our importation, because um, we've been at it for like two years now, and um, we brought a farm finished product to the United States. So the beauty of the business model was that we were able to pay our farmers significantly higher wages. So fair trade is maybe a dollar forty per pound, a dollar fifty per pound for a pound of coffee. We were paying our farmers closer to five to six dollars per pound. Mm -hmm. So you guys could kind of just do the math and see where. Um, our business model kind of created a more sustainable avenue, not only for work, for higher higher wages and taking care of people at origin. And obviously that was close to me, you know, considering it was my family. So not only am I able to take care, better care of my family, 
they're also able to provide a better livelihood for their employees. Um, so that was kind of the genesis and, and uh, the over-encompassing idea um, that became Ocena. Um, so when I came back, you know, we were going through everything, the process of the name, the name Ocena can actually, it's a, a variation of the taxonic, um, like the biological name of Guatemala's national bird. Um, it's Mocino something, some Latin word, and we essentially dropped the O, added an A, and dropped an N, and you got the name Mocino. That's kind of where that came from, and that, it just stuck to people automatically. Everyone loved the logo, loved the name, and we just kind of started going with it. Um, so that was the inception of Mocino, and that's kind of what's brought us to where we're at now. Um, but again, I want to have an open discussion. I know you guys mentioned, in, you know, being an open discussion, so kind of ask me what kind of questions you guys have, I want to hear from you guys. That's the story of Mosina in a nutshell. For sure. Dude, I love that story. I don't know about if, Gabe, was that your first time hearing the story or? So it was my second time and I'll just go in a brief, um, like the first time I met Pablo, he came to my Spanish class and he, he was talking in Spanish to us for like the first 10 minutes of our class. And I'm like trying to understand him because like he comes in, he's like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own company. And I'm like, yo, this is awesome. And uh, eventually he starts talking in English because our teacher was like, all right, they're not going to get this, right? And um, Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I remember because I was talking Spanish. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to change it because they're not going to understand. I kind of want to get a point across. Yeah, and so he started talking. I think about like 10 or 15 minutes in, I grabbed a yellow notepad and just started writing things down. I was like, this dude has a ton of information. I can learn from him. And I still have, I have the notes out in front of me. I have like three pages of notes and um, yeah, it just like, and I was the one, I was like constantly raising my hand, asking questions and stuff, like trying to get more out. And so, yeah, this is the second time I've heard the story, but still like when I hear it, it's like, it's still. Yeah, like, it so was, surreal. it was more in depth that day, you know, cause we were getting a bunch of things and it was more coaching that day. Like I wanted to be there to kind of give you guys something that would add value to your life. I didn't want it to be all about the coffee. I wanted to tell you guys, you know, kind of ideas and, and stuff that I've learned throughout my college career. And I'm, I'm only two years out of college now. So it's, um, you know, I'm not that far from you guys. And what I wanted to do is I kind of wanted to give you guys like life lessons. You know, I had a, a professor in at case where I went to school and uh, it was a finance class. It was a brutal class. I mean, it was very, very difficult. And uh, he would tell us, he's like, I want you guys to look at my class as a laboratory for life. Right. So he's like, anything you're doing here, if you can do it well, then you can take that to life and apply it to real life situations. So he's like, this is the lab of life, you know? And when I went and talked to you guys, I kind of had that same mindset where I want this to be a laboratory for life, right? So take the ideas I'm telling you. You know, I'm not the smartest person, but there might be some stuff that one of you guys could kind of pick off and maybe run with your own ideas or kind of find ways to, to add value to your own lives or to your family's lives or um, to anyone else that you come in contact with. And that was kind of my my purpose in going there is I wanted to kind of show you guys, okay, this is what I learned. This is the stuff I've been through. Take it and see what you guys can do. Take the ideas that maybe I'm kind of planning in your minds and kind of take it and run. Um, so I, it's, it's, you know, it's honestly inspiring to me, Gabe, that um, you went through, you were at that class, you were in that class that day and obviously I had an impact on you. So um, that's important to me, man. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, that was, so that was the first time that I heard your story kind of in full. And I think the, the yeah. thing that came out to me um, is your mindset. Because the coffee business, if I counted correctly, it was your fourth business, correct? Yeah, it was our fourth business. Some four or five, man. I started a teaser <laughs> yeah. business at St. Ed's. 
do like and your- it was like my first it was my first uh my first business right it's funny because i went to a mentor of mine and i'm like i need twelve hundred dollars <laughs> he's like dude he's like you're a freshman he's an older gentleman someone you know near and dear to my heart yeah the older gentleman way older guy like 80 something and he was like you want me to give you 1200 do you even have a job like how are you gonna pay me back and he's like, look, man, well, I've loaned you the money, man. Just don't lose it, you know, because <laughs> obviously we're going to have an issue. So he's right. like, look, I'll give you the money. You know, obviously a wealthy individual. And he gave me the money. And uh, I remembered it. One of the best moments of my life, like highest euphoria I can remember, you know, that young. I go back two weeks later and I take him $1,500. Like I paid him an extra 100 bucks because I had made $2,500 selling some T-shirts at St. Ed's. And... Um, that was kind of like the first thing ever, man. It's just kind of like, don't lose anyone's money. Like, just be honest, you know? And he was like, impressed with me ever since then. He's like, all right, man, beautiful. He's like, you ever need anything else? Just give me a call. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just an example. That was like my first time ever borrowing money and, you know, right. learning how to, how to kind of get, get in there and, you know, how to fund a company and whatever. And it's just like, you know, you do it with a t-shirt company. It's kind of the same premise. You could take it to any scale. Any major company, any successful company had to start somewhere. Right. It's kind of like the same blueprint. It just really comes down to how scalable it is. Yeah. So I love that. That's a funny story. Um, what I loved about that was, so you're at your fourth company and you're only, by this time, what, you were 22, 21 when you started? the company. I was, right. yeah, we were like 24 now. Been at it for two years. It's like 21, 22. Yeah. So 21, 22 years old on company number four. And I think that, that alone is something that like, that's nuts. Yeah. And I think the, the big thing there too, Sam, like the thing you want to, like, I would, I would love you guys to grasp onto is the fact that the other three weren't necessarily successes. Mm-hmm. Like, so we were at it, we had success in like getting funding or whatever it was, but it didn't translate to like a commercially successful product, right? right. We weren't successfully able to take it to market. So um, a lot of people that would kind of be enough to kind of just like want to get out um you know just in like legal fees and that little stuff you have to do to start a company like you know that's two or three or four thousand dollars of your own money you're never going to see again so mm-hmm. some people are like you know i just need to stop doing this because i'm digging a hole and i'm just not going to do it again because i'm scared yeah. um we kind of kept on it and i think that's the thing you really want to take away is like persistence is is everything i recently just watched a movie called the founder on netflix it's like the mcdonald's story i don't know if you mm-hmm. guys have ever seen it and it's funny because like one of the main themes of the, the movie was like persistence so the guy who created McDonald's to be this, you know, multi-billion dollar company, he didn't have the idea. It wasn't his idea. McDonald's wasn't his company, you know. He went after some guys who had perfected a, a, a process. He told them, look, I, I have a vision for your company and I want to take it here. And they originally they didn't want to let him in. So, like, he was persistent, stayed on it. And look what McDonald's is today. Like, he created a, a behemoth of a company. Mm-hmm. And it was all just by simple persistence. You know, a guy who had, I don't know how many failures in his life just kept going. So, so would you say your mindset with it was when you were starting these companies, like, I'm going to learn so much from this that there's no way that I can fail? Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I would say that's kind of the way I embraced it. I would say it was more like there's lessons to be learned and everything. So don't necessarily take everything that doesn't work your way as like a failure. Take it as like a, a learning opportunity. Like I don't consider anything failures. I consider them learning opportunities. Like I learned something by doing that, you know, like when you get your first ticket, when you're driving, like you get your first beating ticket, it's like, yeah, it's a mistake. 
like obviously you did something wrong it's a failure but like you learn from it because now you know like okay i can't go that fast anymore i'm just going to continue to pay these these fines mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like that same concept where you learn and through like constantly trying stuff and failing and failing fast you're kind of learning as you go and like your 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 learning curve like your growth in in the stuff that you're able to um I guess you could say delve into as a person and the stuff you can kind of get into, like goes up, if that makes sense. Like you become more, I would say a smarter person because you've learned from so much already. You kind of know how to embrace the future and what um, obstacles and what hurdles might be in your way. It's like embrace, you know, embrace the, the, the obstacle in your way. There's a a book called um, the obstacle is the way by Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday, phenomenal. Right over there. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of behind stoicism. Um, it's a huge nod of one of my mentors, Sam, uh, Sam Corey. He he got me hooked to that book, and um, you know I think that's uh, that same mindset. I'm glad you guys are reading that book. I think stoicism is awesome, and anyone who doesn't know what it is, please pick up a book and learn. Oh, yeah, I uh, I that book I started reading it literally the day that quarantine happened. Um, yeah. The same day that I was laid off from my job, um, we could say, but um, I can kind of relate with you with that because I think I started three, I tried to form a fitness company three different times. I started when I was mm-hmm. a junior in high school. Um, I remember the first one, it was called Fat Fitness Advisor Team. The second one, um, Vital Athletics. Third one, Sam Beaver Fitness. And all of those, I wouldn't call them as failures, but none of them gained traction enough. Um, and I kind of kind of kind of got disheartened with that. I read obstacles the way, um, right when quarantine happened and it kind of showed me how much opportunity there is when everything is in kind of like on the back burner. So right. everything went into like that recession. And then I just actually registered. I'm staring at the certificate right now in LLC and, um, congratulations, oh, buddy. Thank you. More, called- more milestones. Yeah. And it's finally like, this is, this is number four, try number four that I'm doing it. And it's actually gaining traction. And I think that like just keeping up with that persistence, like that's the Mm -hmm. only thing that's gonna, you know, take you to that next, that next mile. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think is awesome about that book too, is it it tells you that moments of trials and tribulations and failure are not only moments to learn, but they're moments to thrive, Mm -hmm. which I think is like, takes it a step further. Like he's, he's actually arguing the fact that, the, the lowest point in your life can be the moment at which you actually thrive the most. Um, you know, it's when he talks about another famous Clevelander, John D. Rockefeller. He, he started these companies when, when no one else wanted to invest. No one, like the market was terrible. The economy was awful. And no one was doing anything, anything near what he did to get the, the Standard Oil started. Like he was spending money when people didn't want to spend money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Warren Buffett does in a modern day example. You know, he's thrived. He's been so successful as an investor because when everyone else gets scared and doesn't want to spend, he's spending. So when all this COVID and everything happens, you know, like uh, COVID, um, COVID-19 and everything that's happened recently, like there's people who've, who've thrived and they've, they've come out better than they were before pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Like there's companies that are better, better off. You know, look at a company like Amazon. They're, they're richer than they were before COVID. So how do you take a, a, a situation that's awful, that looks bad, you know, like it's just the end of the world and you turn it into like, 
something that's completely positive and something something that is you know beneficial for not only shareholders but your employees and everyone in the company i think it's amazing yeah i really like that and um it reminds me of the concept of just like throwing yourself in the water and like whether you know how to swim or not but rather than just standing at the edge and just like staring in and trying to map everything out like pablo with your story like you could have tried like beforehand to like make sure every single thing was going to work like as you planned, but you just like dove right into it. You went to where your family was and you just like threw yourself in there, even though you knew it could be a potential failure. Like Nike says, just do it. Honestly, that's sometimes like the best advice you can give someone is just like, just do it. Like get in there, get your feet wet, get in the game and just kind of go like some of my jobs, like my, my professional career I've thrived in situations where they essentially throw me into something and you just essentially learn how to do it. You know, you learn how to do it in the situation while you're doing it. Like you're learning the job on the job. It's like, I think that's the best way to learn. I think it's amazing. It's kind of, um, who is it that says that? I don't know if it's Peter Thiel. It's, it's one of these, these big Silicon Valley investors, you know, entrepreneurship is throwing yourself out of a plane or throwing yourself, I forget how it goes. It's throwing yourself off of a cliff and building a plane on the way down. I was, I, I was having- I don't know, you probably heard that and that's exactly what it is. You know, I, I think it's, it's true. Like I got an importing coffee. I didn't know anything about the business, but I went down there, you know, you got, you can't be afraid to spend a little bit of money and you know, to make money, to, to, to make money, you, you need money to make money. So there's money costs money. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like nothing is free. So you you have to be willing to do this kind of stuff to get any kind of reward or, or even if it doesn't work, then you know it doesn't work, but at least you know you tried. Right. That's funny you mentioned the building the plane on the way down. I was when this semester Who said started, that it was it was it was it Reed Hoffman? I'm not sure, but my professor was telling his story about how he got into teaching and this was right around the time where I was on the fence whether or not I wanted to dip into try number four of starting my company. And he was like, yeah, I pretty much kind of just leaped and built my wings on the way down. And then that's when I was like, all right, screw it. And I, so it's that same kind of concept. I I can't remember who said it originally. Yeah. Um, Assembling your, assembling the plane on the way down. That's, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's true, man. There's, there's a lot of people out there. They've started companies. They were in the worst thing. If you guys have read about the Airbnb startup, that one's phenomenal as well. Like these guys sold cereal to fund their company. Nuts. they sold politically charged cereal brands like politically themed i think it was like obama's and, um, <laughs> who was it he was running against uh senator mccain i forgot what it was a maverick in every bite or something and they sold these and it was um it was it was crazy i mean i just they they had a whole booklet of credit cards that they were using to fund the company they were using credit cards to fund the company that's and they would just get like a $10,000 limit and go charge every credit card. So yeah, there's so many stories you hear and it's just like, man, you just got to get your feet wet. Yeah. And then it's like, once you get your feet wet, like by any means necessary, like you said, like Pablo, you saw your vision and like your first, um, you started off with how can I add value to the world? Yeah. And it's a so question you- everyone should ask. You should ask that question every morning you wake up. Cause if you're not asking that question, I don't think you're doing anything for the right the right purposes, if that makes sense. Like wealth, in my opinion, comes from adding value. Like 
you shouldn't ask, how can I make money? You should ask, how can I add value? Because wealth is just going to follow. Anything that has value attracts wealth or money or whatever it is. Um, so I think that's, if I, if I could leave anyone who listens to this or, or you guys, you know, as you guys go forward, ask yourself in the morning, how am I adding value to the world? What can I do to add value? I had an ethics class in college and it was about creating a, a, like a 10 commandments for yourself. Like what is your ethical code? And the number one thing on my ethical code is ask yourself in the morning, how do you, how do I add value to the world? If you're doing it for the right reasons, then if you're adding value to the world, then it should be something that's good for humanity. Like you should be doing something that's, that's good for everything. And if you use that to guide kind of like your moral compass, I think you're, you're in, in, in good company. I think you're, you're well on your way to being a, an exceptional person. And I think it's also interesting, like when you wake up in the morning, you're like, all right, how can I add value to the world today? And you can have that that vision, that end goal, like from 10 years from now, like I want this podcast to be like huge, you know, but also it's like, I can add value in this world by like talking to someone in my class and like reaching Mm -hmm. out being like, Hey, how are you doing? And then like, Hey, how are you really doing? And like help someone out that way. So I think it's crazy how you can add value to the world by this crazy thing, like starting your own coffee company, paying people more than they deserve. It's like, with your family, but also you can add value by doing the small things every single day. And like, that'll it's, take you there as it's well. It's like all love. It's like, how much love do you give? How much do you love people? How much do you love your employees or the people in your life or your family or whatever it is? Like you talk about adding value. It's like, am I like, am I taking care of people? Like, what am I doing to enrich people? What am I doing to help people out? Like give, always give more than you receive. That's like another, if I could leave you guys with any word of advice, add more to the world than you take from it always whatever it is you meet someone add more do a little extra always have an account of goodwill a close a dear mentor of mine he wouldn't mind if i mentioned his name bob campana well he's a he's a titan of industry here in cleveland and one of the things he told me he he, it blew my mind when he told me this he's like you always should have an account of goodwill with someone Hmm. an account of goodwill like okay i know i know john and i know bob and i know david and i know um Jason or whoever I know, every person that I come in contact with, I should have like an account of goodwill for them. I should do something for them. And eventually that, that goodwill is going to be reciprocated. You're going to see it back. So if someone asks me for a favor, it's almost like I just say yes, because I know I'm going to build up an account of goodwill with them. And one day if I ever need a favor for them, I know they're going to pay it back and they may pay it back too. So I always carry accounts of goodwill. And I think it goes back to adding value to the world. Like how much goodwill do you have with people? Like, do your employees love you? Do your managers love you? Do, uh, does your family love you? Like, are you a good person? Do you add value? Do you enrich people's lives? I think that's, that's, I think that's what it means to be a good moral person. Mm. I think, yeah. I think, I think it, go ahead, buddy. I didn't cut you off. No, no, you're good. Um, I was think that reminded me of the, the being versus doing and how kind of your philosophy is, is being that, that good part yeah, if, and then focus yeah, it, on the doing part yeah i think if, if everyone thought about it that way i think the world would be a way better place mm-hmm. you know because it's it's just so selfless it's like what am i doing for you not necessarily what i get because i know if i treat this person well i'm gonna it's gonna be reciprocated i think that's the way the universe works mm-hmm. you know definitely um i know you mentioned your business partner a lot and i have 
interviewed um, some people that have, you know, have their own companies and are successful in that, in their own, you know, niche and their own market and stuff. And a lot of them say uh, no business partners <laughs> uh, just yeah. because of the relationship there and how that can kind of, uh, kind of blow up in your face. Um, but it sounds like you guys went to the same height. He went to ads, right? Yeah, man. He's, he's a uh, Ferris. He's my, he's my best friend. Um, okay. We kind of, we've gotten into everything together. We even work together now. So we do Mosin and we have jobs and we work together and at our job, we are a team. Mm. So we've, we've everything we do together. So if it's like, if it's, if it comes to work, I'm calling him because I need something done for work. And then maybe I got to talk to him about something we have to do with Mosina. So yeah. we have that kind of relationship, man. He's like, it's like a one-two punch, like Jordan and Pippen or Kobe and Shaq. Um, it's just everything. We've kind of been that way since high school. He's my best friend. And um, just find the right person. If, if you find a person that you want to work with, just make sure they're good persons. Make sure there's someone with integrity. You know, I, Ferris knows me. I know him. He's probably the most, the, the person with the most integrity I know. And I knew that from when I met him, I knew he was a good guy. I wouldn't have gone into business with anyone who wasn't a good person. And that's kind of the way I've always lived my life. It's funny because we were sitting down with some, some pretty big like investment people in Cleveland. Like they're, you know, venture capitalists, they, you know, invest big monies and big deals. And um, I asked him, I asked him point blank. I was like, what is the one thing that you look for before getting into any deal? Like, what do you, before you invest in anything, what is the one thing you look for? He's like, just the people. Who am I doing business with? Do they have integrity? And then, you know, that's, that's enough to know if you want to get into the deal or not. Just know who you're working with. Um, so I think it's easier always having someone. I think having someone is a blessing. Um, I mean, if you're able to do it by yourself, I mean, by all means, I just think it's going to be a harder journey. Because there's, you know, too, there's someone you got to share the burden with, you know, or, you know, I think it could be enough, like trying to, to, to fight your way to create something great along the way. There's going to be so much stuff that I think it could be more, it could defeat you, you know, if you're by yourself, where I think if you have someone to share the load with, I think it's all the more better. So I love how you talked about, like, before you get into business with someone, you always look at the people first. And then you look you at your, yeah. you look at your own story. Like you went to Guatemala, you went from, uh, top, you went from top down. So you went to like the root of it and you went and saw your employees and you even saw the need, like, Hey, these people need more money than what the fair trade is or whatever. And yeah. like, you even had like a family connection to that. So that makes it even more, like your purpose and your mission in life is way bigger than just you. So I think it's really, just, it goes back to giving back. Like what I mentioned about just, just give more than you take and it's all going to pay off. Cause everyone's still making money. Everyone's happy. Like we're happy. Like we, you know, we're just still margin and selling coffee. It's plenty of margin. It's a good margin. So why not just pay them more? You know, they're going to do better. They're going to do one. They're going to do better work. You're going to have a better product. It's like there's so many benefits that come off of paying someone more for a certain skill or trade that it just kind of reciprocates. I mean, we're going to end up getting better coffee because we pay our farmers more. So they're just going to care a little more about the work they do. So I think, again, it comes down to just taking care of people along the way, along the whole chain. So, What's your, what's your background in terms of like your kind of skill? Like what are you – what do you excel in, in part of like, kind of like the business? Are you more? That's, like that's a good question, man. Um, I, it's weird, man. I, 
I was never the smartest person in school. But my teachers are saying that to tell you that. Like, I was a knucklehead, man. And, um, you know, I would say around that college, like, my freshman year, like, I really focused in. Like, I don't know if it was the people I was around, but there was a lot of people around me where um, I was in a different environment. And I almost felt like, okay, it's time for me to buckle down and get serious. You know, so I went through, like, a rebranding in college. I kind of rebranded myself. Like, I kind of became a little more professional about my my – I cared to myself. It just became a little more important to me. And um, I was a finance major. So I guess you could say my, my trade is finance or business. I was a business finance major. And um, yeah, that's a good question, dude. Like I, I've never really been a marketer. I, I would say maybe more of an operations person. Okay. Like I'm good at making sure like every piece is moving together and moving in unison to like kind of keep the, the machine running. Um, but you know, that's, that's a tough one, man. I, I think that what you would have to ask someone who knows me or who's worked with me, what my strengths are. My next um, question was going to be, where does your partner excel with that? Yeah. Well, when you think about the company, I think Ferris is, Ferris is a lot more, how can I put it? Like, I'm not as liked as Ferris. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. People meet Ferris and are attracted and gravitated towards Ferris. People gravitate towards me, but in a different away like Ferris is just like a, a gentle loving person that people just want to be around they want to know who he is so we kind of balance each other out because I'm a little more intense so there's a lot of deals or business that we could have lost or that probably wouldn't have gone over so well because I'm just a little too aggressive if that makes sense maybe I'm just a little too direct where Ferris is just a little more mellow he's just a little more um I gotta say he's like he's he's more likable so that's kind of where it's like a, a two-way street because we balance each other off there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the company's been so successful. I mean, we wear, we wear every hat in the business. I probably do more like the finances and managing like, you know, our day-to-day bill pay or whatever it is we got to do. And he kind of probably focuses a little more on, on just nurturing the relationships with our, our distributors, um, our wholesalers, our grocery partners. Like we're in Heinen's, we're in Market District. And Ferris has done a good job creating those relationships. So I think we, we complement each other across the board. And I think if you're going to get in a business with anyone, just make sure um, whatever your weakness is, is your business partner's strength. Mm-hmm. Whatever your weakness, whatever his weakness is, is your strength or, or vice versa. Any business person you get in a business with, that's how it should be. With. That's how it should be in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I guess kind of like unrelated um question how did you balance like your co- you talked a little bit about like you started waking up at 4 a.m and i know you talked about this to us last year when you came in how did you balance like school and then your own business and then your even like your own lifestyle health and well-being yeah man organization so i came to the realization when i was in college almost yeah i think it was in college maybe a little bit in high school where it was, it was, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. I'll, probably, I'll send it to you guys after I get off of here, where it was an argument for waking up early. And it talked about how all the successful people in the world, anyone who's been successful, the greatest minds of, of all time, like the Edisons, the, the, um, the Nikola Teslas, those guys, the, Ed- the greatest inventors, the Steve Jobs of the world, they all shared one common train that was waking up early. 
Like everyone woke up before everyone else. And essentially the article argued the fact that you wake up in the morning, you have a head start above everyone else. Anything after 9 p.m., the article argues, is just not good for your body. The food you eat, the TV you watch, whatever you're looking at on your phone, is just not healthy for you. It's probably gossip or stuff that's probably doesn't build. It's, there's nothing that it's building in you that's going to make you a better person. Um, so it essentially argues that go to sleep at 9, 8 o'clock, 8, 9 o'clock, cut all that bad stuff out of your life, wake up early, you're just going to get a head start on everyone else while everyone else is kind of recovering from the, last, the, the previous evening. So it just makes that argument because then you have more time to focus on you as well, right? So you can meditate, you can work out, whatever it is. I personally work out in the morning. Like I'll try to go on a run, go on a bike ride, you know, lift some weights. And that's the way I start my morning. And by, I try to do it around 5.30. And by six o'clock, 6.30, I'm already on my emails. I'm already doing what other people are just waking up now too. And they, if they want to work out, they're like two hours behind where I am. So I kind of developed that mindset and it's just about priorities as well. You just kind of have to prioritize what, um, what makes the most sense. And if you live your life that way, I think, again, it just creates a better, a better lifestyle. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Gabe and I actually, we talked about that on, we almost took up like half a podcast episode of talking about waking up early. What's, what's good after, what's good after nine o'clock? Ask yourself. Nothing. The food that the, the places that are open to eat, after nine o'clock is not healthy for you. Yep. It's like pizza and fast food. Mm-hmm. So just eliminate that, that distraction almost like just take it out of your life. You know, dude, I, I love, Oh, go ahead, Sam. I was just gonna ask. So when, when your alarm goes off at whatever, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, um, you're still tired when you wake up, right? You don't wake yeah. up and you're automatically, See, my, hey, let's go. 415, 415. It is yep. right there. So I, um, yeah, I'm still tired. I, what, what do I do? I usually just go wash my face with cold water and mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay. It's the hardest part is waking up. That's like the hardest part. Like people, the biggest thing people tell me is like they can't wake up. They just turn off their alarm. It's just a, mind, a mindset. You got to change your mindset. You can that, wake up. Yep. That's what I was, that I was trying to get to people because as I wake up early too and when people ask me, it's like, oh, I could never do that. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's not, I don't have this ability to wake up and automatically be like, oh, you know, I'm awake. It's choosing that growth mindset, that first decision of the day, the saying, like, you're okay, your alarm goes off. You're like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to snooze it versus Mm -hmm. I'm tired. This hurts. You know, I'm obviously going through discomfort and you start your day with something that's a positive to where I'm overcoming this discomfort. Mm-hmm. I can really lean into this discomfort. I think once you get into the, I think once you get into that mindset and you start doing it too, you'll notice yourself like you'll feel better as a person. Your body will feel better. Your mind will feel better. I think there'll be less anxiety and less stress because you're able to kind of use that time essentially to meditate on yourself, you know, be brief. Think about, you know, if you want to write, doing any journaling. Um, I try not to look at my phone. Um, so yeah, I think those are a bunch of things that, you know, are kind of, I guess you could say associated with that lifestyle. Yeah. And I think to go off that, like the obstacle is the way, like say you wake up at four 30, you've already worked out and it's like, you get to this task later in the day, that's tough. And it's like, well, I already woke up at four 30. I got through that difficult task. Like I, I took a cold shower this morning. I went through discomfort already. And now it's like this difficult task, like we'll just check it off. Yeah. So I think a lot of kids, like I see that in school as well. Like 
for months now, I've been taking cold showers in the morning and every morning I still have that same discomfort. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. But then afterward I get the reward of, Hey, I didn't want to do this. And I did this. So then Mm -hmm. when I'm in school later and that professor assigns like that 10 page essay, I'm like, all right, like, let's get it. I'm ready for this. Like I've already gone through this and other people are just like sitting there complaining. And I'm like, yo, like, don't add me to the group chat where you complain about the work. Like, please don't like, yeah. I'm just going to do my own thing, you know, and just grind this out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, th- I just shared experience. I kind of, again, in college, it was kind of my thing to wake up early and I try to do all my studying. Like if I had a big exam, I would wake up and maybe skip the workout and just start studying. So yeah. that by 10 AM when I had the exam, I did everything I could have done at midnight and I just did it in the morning. So I would take all my homework and do it in the morning and it was just, I lived my life that way because then in the afternoon I had to go to work. So it was just kind of the way I had to operate. Dude, in high school, literally, I would go to bed at like 8.30 sometimes or like 8.15 and just wake up at five and start my studying for tests and stuff. And you realize, like you said, after 8, 9 p.m., there, there's so many distractions. And it's like kids are sending in the group chat, all this stuff. And it's like, you know what? If I wake up at 5.30, clear mind, no one else is awake to distract me anyway. I have time to actually sit down and study. And now like I'm way more productive and I, kids would laugh at me, like going to bed at like eight fifteen and like waking up early, but I'm like, no, like this is how I operate. You know, like I'm way more productive. I get more things done. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, another close mentor of mine. And I had heard about this. There's another way. I, I was actually shocked. Like there's a couple people who live this way as well. Um, they don't, they like sleep in intervals. Like I know people who operate where they'll take a nap midday and they'll be at up at 2 a.m. working. Like they'll work for three hours from two to five. And there's people who operate that way too. So there's a bunch of different lifestyles and ways people operate. Like one of my closest mentors is he'll send me a text at three o'clock in the morning. With midnight, like asking me stuff, sending me stuff. Like read this. And he's like, man, sometimes I just wake up and I just start doing work. And it just really comes down to what works for you. You know, there's a lot of highly successful people I know operate that way. So I think it just comes down. I like the, I like a rigid, a rigid uh, schedule and I kind of stick to that. You know, I know the brownies were playing last night, so I ended up breaking my rule. I ended up sleeping at 1130, but you know, still got up and did the workout. So. Right. That's awesome. I think uh, back to that, embracing that discomfort first, I think I like the kind of like the equation or the order when it goes discomfort and then reward, it's good. When it goes reward and then discomfort, it's bad. And it's the, bad. First, the first thing that I thought of was literally, Gabe, don't comment on this because you're too young, but drinking. You get the mm-hmm. reward first of getting, if, if you count getting drunk, the reward. And then you get the discomfort the day after, right? It's not yeah. fun. So any opportunity that you think is an opportunity where it's reward first and then discomfort, I would advise against that. Yep. Discomfort first and then reward. So that's yep. just real quick no that's good advice i love it yeah i think going back to um i don't know pablo have you heard about Sadhguru or no no okay so he's like a yoga guru in india super awesome person i listened to a podcast with him and he talked about how he he sleeps for like three to four hours a night and he operates fine throughout the day and he just talks about where his like his energy sources during the day go. So he says he doesn't try to put his energy into anything that's unnecessary. And he said he could operate, he would go on years operating off three or four hours of sleep. 
and yeah. he would like travel, go speak at different events, but it's just his mindset and how he works. And like, that just goes to show like whatever works for you and how you get things done. Yeah. If it's successful, run with it. I agree. I th- no, I think that's, I think that's good. I remember listening to that same podcast he gave, and I think the, I think Lewis House was interviewing him, if I'm correct. Um, he was like, what do you, like, how do you operate w- with four hours of sleep a night? Because physiology, that's not how it works. He's like, because throughout the day, his mind is, is so restful and he's so at peace with what he's doing throughout the day that he can operate off four hours. So I thought that was interesting with what kind of psychological stress you're putting yourself through the day. That could be something as simple as like doing something that doesn't add value to your life or your morals or your values. If you're just kind of going through the motions over your day, constantly beating yourself up internally, then it's going to be harder to kind of get that energy up, you know? Some some good podcasts, just so you guys maybe can give them to some of your listeners. Up to Adam Kaufman, dear friend and mentor of mine. Phenomenal podcast. It's up with the number two. He's got, it's a Cleveland, for the most part, there's a lot of Cleveland Titans industry on that podcast. Give it a listen. Phenomenal. Um, Adam is a dear friend and mentor, one of the most humble, kind people I know. He's done a lot of help us out. Give it a listen. Very close to Cleveland. And I think you guys would enjoy. Um, Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman is phenomenal. Um, How I Built This with Guy Raz. Phenomenal. Phenomenal podcast. I mean, brilliant podcast. He essentially brings in the founders of the biggest companies in the world and asks them how, essentially, how they built it. Mm. Um, One of the great, great themes of that show, well, one of the things he asks, he asks every person that goes on there, how much would you attribute to skill and how much would you attribute to luck? Like, how much of your success would you attribute to luck? And one of the best responses I ever heard, um, I think it was the guy from Instagram. It was either Instagram or Airbnb. Is be smart enough to know when you're lucky. Mm. Like, I was lucky to have coffee in my family. You just have to be smart enough to be able to implement that and make something happen out of it. Be smart, be smart enough to know when you're lucky. Some of the best advice I've heard and something I've – I've run with going forward. Like know when you're in a lucky situation, you might be in a room with the person that you know um, is someone you've looked up to or whatever it might be. Be smart enough to know you're lucky. Talk to the person. Don't just let the opportunity go because you're scared to talk to them. You know what I'm saying? Be smart enough to know when you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are the podcasts I'd recommend. So if you guys want to give them a listen, For sure. please do. They're great. Um, I think I've listened to all the uh, – how I build this ones are phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah. I love, I love how you talked about um, like recognize when you're lucky and like realizing your blessings. And it's like, take that opportunity to talk to someone. And when you look at your lifestyle, your life that way, I think everything changes. Like when you see yeah. all these things as opportunities, like you see a math class and you're not interested in math. It's not related to your major, but Hey, the professor went through this and that I can still get value from them, you know? some way yeah. so always looking at your opportunity in whatever situation you're going looking at the big you. picture yep yeah well i don't want to take up uh too much more of your time pablo i appreciate you coming on no thank you guys i'm kind of some final thought here to wrap it up um if you could go back and tell yourself when you were first kind of getting into the the mix of things and really hitting the ground running with everything and you think about your biggest insecurities at that time, what could you say to yourself? What would you say to yourself now, looking back at that? Don't waste so much time 
um, I, I think would be number one. Um, I would have worked harder in high school. There's a lot of stuff I would have done in high school that would have translated to a better collegiate experience. Like a great example is like AP credits and honors courses. I, I could have taken more in high school. I was probably just too lazy to do it or my friends weren't in those courses. So I just didn't do it. I would have been better off in college had I just done that. Like it would have been less courses I had to take, less stuff I had to do in college. It would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, so I think that's like wonderful advice is don't waste so much time, seize opportunities. Um, I, I think that's what I would tell myself, you know, a couple of years back. Gotcha. Focus, Love like it. don't, don't waste so much time. Like, yeah, I, I could have done a lot of stuff faster. I just kind of waited around a lot for it. Where now I'm kind of going at that fast paced lifestyle where I should have started when I was younger. Love it. Saying yeah. that as, as a 24 year old. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, but I would have, I would have started if I was 16. I could have been way further now. That's funny. You know? All right. Yeah. Well, you're never too young. Um, no, no, never, man. <laughs> Gabe, you have anything else to wrap it up? No, I just really appreciate Pablo you coming on. And yeah. I know this story is going to impact a lot of people. And, um, yeah, if anybody drink Mosina coffee, I know I need to put an order in to get some more coffee. So, yeah, do that. Yeah, man, give it a shout. I appreciate it, guys. And, again, anything I can do or if there's anything I could ever help with, let me know, man. I love helping out and giving back as much as I can. So, um, you guys need ideas, need any other um, discussion points, whatever it might be, um, anything that's helped me, feel free to reach out. Same thing to the listeners or whoever. Um, you guys are going to push this out too. Same thing. I'm, I'm an open book. Again, pick anything you need to know or want to know. And I'm more than happy to kind of share some thoughts and experiences. Gotcha. Awesome. Thank you. I want to acknowledge you for, for the person that you are for, uh, doing this for us, with us. Um, yeah, man, for sure. Being an inspiration. So thank this you. This is my first podcast, man. So oh, really? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> So well, now, so now in 10 years, when you're like at the oh, top yeah. on some like successful one, you know, you're going to shout <laughs> us out. <right? laughs> oh yeah, absolutely guys. Awesome. All right. For sure. uh, everyone listening, uh, drop a, a couple likes on the page. Let us know what you like. Let us know if uh, you have any ideas for us. It really helps the channel grow. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys on the next one. All right, Sam and Gabe. Thank guys. Thanks yeah, guys. For sure.